G'day guys, welcome back to Money in the Tank, episode 72. We are live and with you, recording via Zoom. Uh, we've got our guest speaker today, which is always a favourite of mine when we get the guest speaker in, because we can handball off all the effort and energy to the guest speaker and uh, hit them with, bombard them with good questions. So we're really uh, lucky to have uh, Melissa Sloan from Madison Sloan Lawyers today. If you want to say g'day, Melissa. Hello, and thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you on board. My name's Joel Seach, Principal Advisor, Harpel FG, to my left in the grey shirt there. Uh, over in Singapore, Brad Tavone, investor. And uh, to my left. To your left, I'm Arnie, the finance professional. Yeah, so thank you. Great to have everyone with us today. So um, thanks for getting back to episode 72, uh, lead up to Christmas time. So we didn't quite get to our century of episodes that we were hoping with Brad, but that was our stretch target at the start of the year. We got to 72. Maybe we'll get to three quarters of a century by the end of the year. We got three weeks to go. Maybe we can do it. We'll see how we go. Um, but today's episode, guys, all about uh, estate planning. So we've got a really great episode lined up today with some terrific listener Q&As. Um, we've got a great 50-50 at the end. We've got a Ripken's Rules, as always. Um, and we've got a, a really uh, great guest speaker today, Melissa, who we deal with a lot at Harper FG um, in terms of estate planning stuff. Uh, Melissa's an estate planning specialist. That's what she primarily does, um, which you'll be able to expand on today. Um, we'll talk about Melissa's uh, latest book she's uh, just released uh, recently as well and, and where to find Melissa as well. Um, and Arnie, where can the listeners get us at? Yeah, please get us at Money in the Tank on YouTube, Instagram, x.com and Facebook. Um, and yeah, please leave a like, comment, subscribe and click the bell on YouTube. Um, we appreciate your questions and your interaction. And yeah, well, uh, I think, do I miss anything? It always stumps me that x.com now that it's not twitter.com, but anyway. Love it. You've done well, mate. Um, without further ado, let's get stuck into Ripkins before we get to Melissa with all our questions today. So we are on page 65. This is Renee on success. So if we can see the book, I don't know. It's got blur on today. There he is. So um We've got uh, Renee on success here. It's always interesting. There is only one test of success, and that is happiness. There you go. Um, that's an interesting one, isn't it? So there is only one test of success, and that is happiness. And the Renee, and the, I'll give you two. Renee agrees with uh, Freud. I think Freud is the um, what? Is, what's Freud? Uh, F R uh, psychologist. Psychologist. Yeah. Yes. The secret to life is to minimize pain and maximize pleasure. There you go. The secret to life is to minimize pain and maximize pleasure. That's a very that's a very hedonistic, hedonistic. <laughs> take from the old Rivkin there. I don't know if I agree hundred percent with that, but there's no problem with a bit of pleasure seeking, I think. Yeah. What do you guys what do you all think? I think he was all pleasure, right? He's a hedonistic guy, mate. He sits in front of his car with a cigar. So um, I like this first one. It is. It's all about happiness. So maybe pleasure for him is happiness, aren't he? There you go. Right. The, the, Melissa, the... you got thoughts on Renee Rifkin? <laughs> it's an interesting concept, isn't it? Um, but definitely pleasure, pleasure and happiness, you know, it's an integral part of our lives. What is, yeah, what does success be? To, you know, you're defining success, is it, and we've talked to clients about this, is it being the richest person in the graveyard or is it living a fulfilling and happy life um, with your success? Uh, I think that's probably the aim that we like to go for is, yeah, finding that success and happiness um, rather than a financial success. But anyway. Do you, do you know what I think about it? And I'll just quickly throw in my two cents here. I don't mind that first take of his about measuring success through happiness, but I, the way I think about it is like doing good. 
And so I feel like everyone strives to leave a legacy of some sort. And if you've done good, that could also be a measure for success. Um, sometimes happiness might elude you, but if you've done good, at least you can put that down as your legacy. So might disagree with old Rivkin there. I think he's being a little bit of an absolutist. I love how deep we go on Rivkin's. That's my favourite thing. <laughs> I don't think it is right this book here literally anyone to uh, uh, psychoanalyze it, but I love it. I love and, it. And, and speaking of, uh, of books and a good segue, Legacy. So, um, Melissa, you've written two books uh, in, in your life, and Legacy was probably around what 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 it means, what do you want to leave your legacy to someone. So um, tell us about your books before we get stuck into your, your Q&As today. Oh, um, I wrote Legacy during COVID. Um, I, I thought the world was going to end and business was going to go really quiet, but the opposite actually happened. Um, but during that period, I decided that um, there were so many questions um, that clients were asking and estate planning is shut. So um, just got public for so many people with the elephant in the room and I didn't know how to approach it. So I thought I'd utilise some of that time to, to write a resource, um, which is what Legacy was, just to provide a really, really good simplistic guide to the readers um, of how to put their wheels in estate planning and, and what it actually entailed. So that was my first book and it was it's been really, really successful and it's really helped so many people um understand the whole concept of wheels and estate planning. And then last year I decided to write my second book, which is Big Moments. Um and that's um aimed more for a younger market, but it actually expands on the big moments that happen in our lives because our lives are made up of so many big moments. Um and it's all about really, it centralises on getting the right advice because the decisions we make now impacts the rest of our lives. And that's so much, you know, so applicable for finance and money and all those sorts of things. But the book is quite expansive and it, it runs on things like getting your first job, um, you know, buying your first car, looking after your money, um, getting married, having a family, caring for a parent, getting divorced travel, all those really, really central things that happen in our lives and those big moments happen in our lives. Um, things like um, starting your own business is also included, um, buying your first home, just so that you can really um, run your guide so that people can tap into it, um, tap into the relevant chapter at that point of their life. But the whole purpose of it was that we see lots of clients and we see lots of clients making the wrong decisions or decisions that have impacted them when they're younger that flow through the rest of their lives. For example, travelling overseas without travel insurance and you have an accident, that's why we see so many of those GoFundMe pages trying to get people home. So that's basically what those two books are about. And they're basically written just to give something back and and to make um to share the knowledge that is so simple for us. Melissa, so would you mind telling us where are those books available? Absolutely, the books are available at Amazon, um, Booktopia, all good bookshops, um, or also our website as well. But Amazon probably the best one to go to. I'll make yeah. sure that when we upload, we'll put those in the description for the for the listeners as well because I'm interested myself. So yeah, and leg wonderful, thank you. Yeah, legacy and big moments is the more recent one. Legacy, yeah, and big moments. 
and Melissa. I'm going to say the same thing. I need big moments. I'm uh, about to go through a business sale. So um, <laughs> I'm going to get yeah. straight to that chapter, <laughs> Melissa. <laughs> well, we're full of segues today. So I reckon we might start with Brad's uh, question first, because Melissa touched a bit on that. And Brad can maybe talk about, um, yeah, you know, um, the question he had. And then, you know, that involves business sales and all those things. And Melissa can maybe expand uh, general in nature today, guys. Don't forget, everything's general in nature. Um, Regent's favourite at the start. Uh, and uh, yeah, for any personal advice, please see your own financial professional or solicitor or a taxation specialist. I won't turn this into a, a personal advice session, Melissa. Um, but I guess my question was, um, business sale obviously is, is an event. Um, getting married is an event. Having kids is an event. I'm guessing, anyway, I'm not an estate, uh, estate specialist. Um, but for things like in Australia, um, we've got a massive underinsurance problem. And uh, a way that I guess that resonates with me and a lot of people is um, to talk about, I guess, situations in which underinsurance has come up and, you know, caused harm. Um, and therefore, it gets kind of people like me motivated to go out and seek advice and, and get it sorted. Um I was wondering, you know, can you share your top one or two, um, I guess, events that someone should either put in place um, some estate planning or should go and revise their estate planning um, and kind of why are those events probably the, the, the biggest kickers? And I'm sure, you know, the majority of people here will be able to relate to whatever they are. It doesn't have to be obviously buying a new business, but what do you kind of see as the major kind of areas in life where it's kind of time to just get down and do the estate planning. Yeah, are we talking specifically in relation to insurance? Oh, no, no, no. So insurance is just an example, yeah. sorry, okay, yeah. um, around how, like, you know, we've got a life insurance, under-insurance problem in Australia. Cool. What I'm talking yeah. about is just more on the estate planning side. Of course. The insurance one is a very, very good um, example, though, because we do find that a lot of people, um, when we... When they come to us for the estate plan and we look at the estate planning holistically, so obviously their assets, but also their debt level, particularly if they have younger children, um, or if they have, you know, quite high debt level. Because realistically, if you're going to provide adequately for your family, you have to make sure there's money there if something happens to you. Um, particularly if you're the main breadwinner, um, you don't want to leave the, the survivor with a massive debt, um, particularly when they'll be taking on all these additional roles as, as the sole parent as well. Um, so insurance is a very, very big one. The other one um, where insurance is also very, very, it's an amazing estate planning tool is um, where there might be um, a blended family. So you obviously have um, someone who has elder children, but also younger children. And they may not, the, the way the assets are structured, they may not be something for the older children. So quite often people will, you know, put an insurance policy in place for that, for the older children, um, so that they um, can basically um, leave them something in that policy and it, it can be um, in a way, and I know that, Annie, you... Um, probably have to include yourself, but it can be a, a tax-effective way to leave um, that insurance policy as well. Um, but where we find a lot of people fall down is where they perhaps haven't. Um, there's been some changes in their life. Um, they put a will in place. 
and leave it sitting there and life changes. Uh, an executive could pass away, they could leave they could lose their children, they might get some assets, um, they might start a business, they might have a family crack, um, and they haven't made provision for that in their will. So we say some kind may I put a will in place 20 years ago and the circumstances have changed dramatically, but they haven't actually made provision for that in their will. Um, and I had one recently where they haven't even included a child. He was 15 years old in their will. So that poor child wasn't specifically listed for or accounted for. So I always think it's, um, it's a really good idea. Like people, you know, have your check up for, you know, your car or your house. It's a really good idea maybe just to have that list and just reflect on that. Has anything changed in that past year that we need to actually take? Um, and if so, yeah. Quick question so, with, um, like, uh, I guess things that you can kind of get away with with little changes and kind of bigger changes, things like, I don't know, changing or uh, changing an address, um, uh, you know, those sorts of things. Can you sort of get away with little things, but it's it's more Correct. your bigger stuff, Melissa? Yes, that's exactly right. So people do move that. Quite often people move their houses frequently. And so that's okay. We don't need to update your address regularly. But it's more so, for example, if you um, had a particular asset. Sometimes we may have um, people leaving particular assets to their children. So let's just say you've got three children, you're leaving a property to each of those children, you sell one of those properties. That means the asset's no longer there. So you need to update your will so that you are making adequate provision for the asset that has been sold. Yep. That's a yep. classic example. Yes. Melissa, don't um, don't feel don't feel obligated. But if you want to discuss the tax effects, I'm happy to recuse myself now. Do you want to go into that, or would you prefer to? No, not? that's that's okay. That's all good. Okay. All good. That. Um, particularly another one is if a relationship changes. If you leave a marriage, um, quite often you don't want, you know, your ex partner to receive the assets. That's another classic example where it's a really good idea to update. Um, both your superannuation and also your will together with your power of attorney documents so that you're completely covered um, and, and nothing ends up with your ex -class. It's a really, really important one as well. We uh, we see a lot of clients that come in that have been separated for many years and they've still got their ex-spouse on their superannuation binding nomination. We're like, you realise this is there? Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the other thing a lot of people don't realise is that if you get married, it actually revokes any will that you have in place unless you made that will in contemplation of that marriage. So let's just say that you've been living with your partner for 10 years and then you get married and you previously had a will in place. The actual act of looking in, you know, your new partner's eyes and declaring your love for them and getting married, <laughs> revokes your will. It's absolutely crazy. Um, and no so idea. many people are not aware of that. So you actually have to update your will or put a new will in place. To, there you go. Now, um, now the listeners are very aware. That's uh, I didn't know that either. So you're giving a that, great uh, tidbit there. There's a gold nugget right there. It is. Think... It is. It's I mean, I was so just... many people are. I know I wasn't even, I mean, when you started talking about life insurance at the start, 
or insurance. I was like, of course, it's part of his day plan. That was just, sorry, a complete example. But then I've obviously went into it and um, I'm glad kind of that is a part of estate planning because I think it's a very important part. I'm sorry, Ali. I think that was a great answer, Melissa. And it's actually a really good segue into my question because, and this is actually, again, general in nature, but my the reason I'm asking this question is because it's recently come up in my in my life. And I was wondering about your best advice, like general advice or examples of how to reduce or avoid conflicts or confusion when there has been um, a death in the family and there is an estate to be distributed. How What are the best ways to manage um, the stakeholders, you know, getting upset that they're not getting X asset versus Y asset or, or any other issue that might come up? Yeah. I think the really key answer is it occurs while the person put in the will in place um, is alive. And that is you need to appoint the right people as your executives. Or firstly, you need to put a will in place. If you don't have a will in place, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster, particularly if there's blended families or the strained relationship within the family. Don't walk all over my Q&A question uh, next, Melissa, okay? Without a will in place, that's my one. Okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> I'll leave that one. Um, but realistically, you know, the people, the role of the executor is so paramount because they are the ones who are trusted to, um, you know, distribute the estate in accordance with your wishes. So they're, they're going to be your most trusted advisors because they're giving the hand to everything. They get control of all of your assets. And they also have to be a really, really strong person because quite often when people pass away, they're leaving behind loved ones and children. It's a really emotional time. It's a time of change in their lives. Um, and it's a very big time where their financial circumstances will change as well because the transfer of wealth to the next generation is a really, really important time in one's lives. And often it may only happen once or twice. So people want to make sure that they get that right. So. By having that strong executive there who, you know, keep things on track, um, particularly if there is conflict between the families, um, to make sure that everybody is well aware, communication is, is a really big key issue as well. The executor has to communicate openly and transparently with all the beneficiaries. Um, I think the reason why a lot of beneficiaries get quite upset is because they don't know what's happening. Um, and it's also really about managing expectations. And because, Melissa, just for the listeners out there, can you explain the role or, 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 you know, who might be an executor or what the executor does? Of course. So the executor can be in basically anybody that you can trust. Quite often if it's a husband or wife or, or you know, a couple, it's usually, you know, the remaining couple. Um, if there's children, adult children, Quite often it can be the adult children. It's always a good idea if you only have one executor to have a cap. Um, some people may not want family. They may want a really trusted close friend. Um, and there are also some cases where people don't have anyone. And in those cases, they may look to um, professional organisations like equity trustees or, or someone like that who undertakes that role for them which obviously does incur costs and, and so forth. That's bad. 
Yeah, when I'm just thinking about Arnie's question, and I know that because I'm I'm the executive, a couple of people in my family, and you were talking about how these professional, um, kind of services. Do you see, I don't know, in your experience, do you see the professional services sometimes being a, a better choice than than family because family is, you know, emotionally involved in the um, in the event, <laughs> and there oh. may be there may be you know. Um, conflicts between siblings or conflicts between um, people in the family where, you know, they've left stuff over there and, you know, the executive's doing as per the estate stairs, but people think that, you know, they're doing... Do you, do you generally... Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's advice, but or like recommend that you see less problems where it's professional, you know, it's just someone that's going through a document and neutral yeah. to the party? Yeah. Not necessarily um, those that trustees or equity trustees, um, and the reason, what a lot of people don't realise is when you're an executor, generally what the executor does, the executor will go to a probate lawyer. So a probate lawyer generally deals with deceased estates. So they have extensive knowledge of um, you know, getting the ground of probate, which is required if somebody passes away with more than $50,000 of assets in their own individual name in Victoria. So... Um, getting the grant of probate and then also assisting the exec executive with the facilitation and the payment out of the estate to the beneficiaries. So quite often by having that lawyer in the in the team as well, that provides, you know, the support and the assistance to deal with those aggrieved beneficiaries. Um, I, I don't personally have anything against equity trustees or or one of those professional trustee companies. I do know that sometimes just from personal experience from clients who have engaged with them in the past that um, it can be a, a long process as opposed to someone who is, um, you know, an executor who is known to the family. I'm actually personally an advocate for, someone, for having someone that you know, unless awesome. there's a really good reason not to. Awesome. Because I think... There's a lot of personal stuff that has to be happen in terms of that, um, in terms of arranging the funerals and all those sorts of things. Appointing a trustee company, I think, removes a lot of that intimacy. Yeah. And be mindful as well, general in nature, that when you are using a big company, they do charge an excessive, a lot of money and percentage of money under assets as well, which may not be in the best yeah. interest of the estate in general. So they show the percentage. Yes, yes, of assets potentially. Um, yeah. 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 So definitely <laughs> seek seek the right advice, seek the right person, get your expertise in front of you when you're chatting about that. Um, and as Melissa said, you could be an executor that may, you know, be have the right fit for executor, be strong, but then you might not have intimacy of estate plan, which is fine if you've got a probate lawyer that's helping kind of um, put everything together, which... I guess there's two sides of the coin with your own, Melissa, it's setting up estates and then it's helping managing uh, estates after passing. Absolutely. And the other thing is with the with the executive role, you should have that appropriate team around. So you're not expected to know everything. So it's not just, you know, seeking the advice of a lawyer, but it's also seeking the advice of, you know, a financial advice and accounting advice, as Joel would know, um, seeking that appropriate advice so that, the right decision can be made because quite often um, with a state, there's capital gains tax implications and 
all those other tax implications that have to take place. And the executive's not expected to know everything. So reaching out to the right people and getting the right advice is really, really integral. And it's an important part of the role of executive as well. That was a really good answer. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah, we'll go to you, Charlie. Yeah, and uh, just on the back of a quick one before we're reviewing your wills, Melissa, just for, for the listeners out there, because sometimes people put things, and I see it all the time with clients, put, put things in the too hard basket, not only to get a will, but also, and I'm con constantly on people each year, if they haven't done it, I'll um, professionally um, bug them to make sure they're, they're doing it. But um, uh, I guess in reviewing wills, sometimes people are like, oh, such a big effort, big, big burden. Um, tell us about codicils and where they can come into play, where it's not a full rewrite of your will. Um, codicils can be an amendment or an adjustment to the existing will. When does that come into play? And that might make people's life a bit easier in terms of it's not rewriting the whole textbook of everything. Oh, absolutely. And it's a very good point, Joel. So codicils are a document that we can put in place if there's only some minor changes to the will. So let's say, for example, the executor of your will passed away um, and you wanted to replace that person because obviously you need an executor. So what you can actually do is you can put a codicil in place which basically allows you, paragraph that allows you to remove a person um, as the executor and you list who you would like that new person, the new executor to be. Or, for example, you might want to remove a beneficiary from a will and appoint someone out. So, Codicil is a really, really good resource if there's only some minor changes that have, you know, that you want to make to your will. But it's really, really important that it is stored with your will. Um, because if you don't have the original, it seems as though it doesn't exist. Um, but they are a really good option if there's only some small um, amendments that are required for your will not extensive ones. Right, great answer. And uh, can you have more than one executor, Melissa? And is it usually advisable to have more than one executor? That's a really, really personal choice. Um, quite often, if, it, if it's a couple, they might just appoint the other couple as the executor. Um, but then when it goes down, or if, or if there's no, if you're not in a, a partnership, um, and the children, that some people might, Upon all of their children or one of their children or two. It really, really depends on the relationship between the children as well. So if you're going to have two children who don't get on while you're alive, it's not a good idea to appoint both children when you're when you're not here. Because let me assure you, I've seen it happen and it's not pretty. And it just drags out the whole process. And I get to pay the mediator in the in the middle. It's not fun. Um, but it really, really depends. I mean, I don't encourage having too many children because I think that just complicates the, the issue. Um, location also plays a big part as well. If, if you have children that are overseas or, or executives that you're thinking of appointing overseas as opposed to Victoria, um, all those little things really, really come into play. I think you need to... Look at the best person for the job, the best person who you think would follow through and get on with the beneficiaries and distribute your estate. Um, and it also depends on the size of your estate and the complexity of your estate. So if you have a simple estate, it probably changes the dynamic because it's going to be a little bit easier. But if you have an estate with multiple properties and trusts and businesses, 
you really need to make sure that you've got the right appropriate people. And in that case, you may look at having a couple of people just because of the logistics and, and the complexity of the estate as well. Right. Lovely. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the answer, Melissa. Um, so the question uh, is a listener question from Samantha. She's asked, what happens if you pass away without a will? And uh, I guess what's that called? We'll talk Victoria because we're based in Victoria and general in nature. But um, yeah, tell us a bit about that. Melissa, in the case where someone doesn't have a will and and the rigmarole that's occurred uh, that occurs there, or what can occur if, if there's no 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 will, no estate plan? Yeah. So if you pass away without a will, the in, in Victoria, the intensity provisions come into play. So it's basically a govern a government formula stipulating um who gets what, and it really depends on your circumstance. Um. So if you're a married couple. Or if you if you have a partner, no children, usually it does revert to to the partner. If you have a partner um, and children from a previous relationship, then generally um, partner gets the first five hundred eighty one thousand. Don't quote me on that figure because it does go up. You know it is um, CPR of a year, um, and then of the remaining balance, um, it is divided between. Um, children of the previous relationship and the partner. Um, if you pass, and then it goes on um, to different scenarios. So if you have a partner, children of the same relationship, and then children of a different relationship, there's a different formula. Um, if you pass away and you don't have children and you don't have a partner, it usually then starts at your parents and then goes down the trail. So your parents, your siblings, and then goes down the family tree way. Um, so quite often people say, well, okay, in the, in the first instance, it's okay because it's going to go to the partners, which can be fine, provided the estate is fairly, fairly simple. Um, but it really is something that depends on the individual circumstances and um, whether you have, you know, your family structure as, in respect to what actually happens. As always, I always say, do you want the government to decide who gets it or would you like to make a decision yourself? And I can imagine you've probably seen some pretty rough cases that have happened or heard of where someone that they never intended to receive any inheritance has gotten. Exactly, yeah, absolutely. And I've seen some cases where when someone passed away without a will, leaving young children from previous relationships, they bring quad action against it because the child, they say that the child is entitled to more. So it ends up depleting a lot of the assets in legal fees because simply because they didn't put a will in place. Um, and the court may decide, yes, the child is young and they do deserve more. And the intestacy provision fail them. And it just ends up a lot of money gets wasted in the process. And, and a flow on from that, Melissa, probably even more important than money is guardianship of young kids. Absolutely. What happens if you pass away without a will, you're a young couple, parents, and you just thought, oh, financially, we don't need a will, but if you haven't thought about the kids, you know, yeah. that guardianship of the kids could be someone that you don't intend the kids to be looked after by. Absolutely. And and that is one of the reasons so many people don't put wills in place because they can't decide who to be their guardian. But by actually putting the will in place, it allows you to stipulate who you would like to undertake that role um, because there could be, and it can create a lot of friction as well if you if you don't have that in place because 
both particularly if it's a couple who's passed away, both sides of the family may decide that they're the best person to be a guardian or, or someone that you may not really have an affiliation with. Um, but in addition to that, when we put our estate planning in place, we also do things like letter of wishes, which allows you to provide really strong guardian to the executor and also the guardian of your children about how you would like those children to be brought up. Um, if you don't have that will in place, you're missing all of those sorts of things. Because just imagine you have two kids land on your doorstep tomorrow and you sit there going, you know, are we going to be guardian? What do I do? What do the parents, how do they want me to look after these children? By actually having all those letters of wishes in place with those clear instructions, it just makes it so much easier for the guardian and it's a benefit for the children that you're leaving behind as well. It's a great answer. Yeah, some things to think about there. Yeah, it's got me thinking. Like, I mean, I definitely need to do an update. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> you might uh, be getting contacted by a few people on the pod here. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, now, Arnie, to round out the discussion, you had a question that uh, generally you're going to ask Melissa uh, before we uh, we let her go. Can you remind me, Jolly? I've completely it blanked was. you, mate. What what should we have asked you that we didn't ask you? Oh yeah, the the pitfalls or big things that people miss on, or yeah, was that uh, was that along the lines of the question you had there, Arnie, that you forgot? Yeah, mate, that's right. I wanted to throw to Melissa for any important things that we have forgotten to ask. But a lot of it, I think, one of the things that people get really confused is is that they think, oh, we just need to put our will in place and it's all in place. But realistically, you need to look at things holistically. So it's not just the will, it's also, as Joel mentioned, superannuation, um, insurances, ties of attorney documents and things like that. Because obviously your will comes into play when you're no longer here, but what about if you're still here, you're in an accident or you have a stroke or some other illness and you become incapacitated? Um, who looks after you, who who takes care of your money to make sure that you're adequately cared for. Um, in Australia, we have such a, we're living longer, but not healthier. Many of us are getting Alzheimer's and dementia and all those sorts of things. So powers of attorney, irrespective of age, that's the little golden tool um, that more and more people are realising the need to put those in place as well. So I think it's um, about getting the right advice um, and just putting all those documents in place so that you're completely covered. Um, and it really gives you peace of mind and makes sure that your family is um, looked after. And really, when you're not only here, it's one of the loveliest legacies that you can leave that they know that you cared about them enough to, to put all these documents in place for them. Mm. So the document you mentioned then, Melissa, was a power of attorney, and that's if you're still here, you haven't passed away, but you don't have capacity to be able to operate on your own behalf you've got an attorney um, that will help uh, usually one person a trusted person to help operate on your behalf is that right yeah yeah it can be one person or it can be more than one person depending on your circumstances um and then with the medical one it, it's generally one person but you can have backup for both of those documents as well and an extension of that is that um, you can also put in place an advanced care directive, which allows you to stipulate all your medical wishes. Because some people have very, very strong medical wishes about what they want to happen if they're in an accident or in intensive care and all those sorts of things. 
and by having that in place, it allows your medical treatment decision maker to know what you would want to happen in those circumstances. Awesome. Right. Uh, anything else, gentlemen, uh, from a question perspective for Melissa before we go to our 50-50? Um, and on top of that, um, once the boys confirm whether they've got anything else to ask, is where can our listeners and viewers find Melissa at? That's going to be my question because I'm going to be using those details. I can't think of anything other than asking Melissa where we can contact her because yeah, I feel like everyone's going to want to contact you after this, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so my last one is based in Packwatches. Um, with Madison Stone Lawyers. We have our own website. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all those sorts of things. Um, so yeah, probably our website is the best tool or it really expands on, on what our services are and provides some really, really good guidance. So that could be the first point of call. I'll make sure I also put those social media links and website link in the description as well, uh, both on podcast platforms and YouTube. Um, yeah, and if you want to get us, get us at Money in the Tank on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and x.com. Love it. Um, great. Thanks for uh, coming in today, Melissa. Uh, we greatly appreciate your vast knowledge of estate planning, and uh, I knew you'd be a terrific guest to get on. We've used your services many times, both for our clients and personally, so I uh, can't speak highly enough. And uh, of what you do and our clients are the same. So thank you, uh, Melissa, for coming on today and imparting us with your general in nature knowledge. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to be here. Awesome. Lovely awesome. Time with you. <laughs> Love it. Now, leading up to Christmas, we've got a great 50-50 for the listeners and viewers today. So Christmas-themed 50-50. And uh, for the listeners out there that may not know Melissa, 50-50, uh, what is it based around? Arnie, can you give the listeners an understanding of why we do a 50-50? Yeah, we do a 50-50 to highlight that everyone has individual choices to make in things like investment or estate planning or, or, or in life in general. So we like to always offer a choice at the end of our podcast, um, typically drummed up by us, but sometimes suggested by listeners. Uh, and, it's, and quite often, it's actually more than a 50-50 choice. It started off as a, would you rather this or that? But now sometimes we've got a third or 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 a, or a quarter, 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 quarter. So that's what it's all about. Just highlighting that we've all got um, different opinions and choices to make. So Joel, you got a ripper today. Fifty fifty just rolls off the tongue a little bit better. Uh, Christmas movies. If you were to watch one Christmas movie leading up to Christmas, would it be Home Alone one or Home Alone two? Or Die Hard. Throwing <laughs> a third one in there, the debate, no. the age old debate is Die Hard a Christmas movie. I mean, it definitely is a Christmas movie, but let's stick with Home Alone. Otherwise, Die Hard will just win. You, you go first, Joel. Home Alone 2, because I like New York and I, uh, I don't know, I enjoy that part of it. Brad. I'm going to go to New York. I like number two better. One's good. Very good. Two. I'll uh. I'm going to say after you, Melissa, and I'll go last. Have you seen I them? Have by, never have seen, seen them? I haven't seen any of them, but I'm going to pretend I have, and I'm going to go with New York because I love what's New your, York. What's your favorite Christmas movie, Melissa? And then 
that's blasphemy that you haven't seen either of them. That is on your to do. <laughs> no, I don't want to say about my favorite Christmas. I'm not saying about my favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> it's so hard, isn't it? The same way again. No. <laughs> I'm just gonna, okay. Oh, well, if I was going to choose between Homeland One and Homeland Two, Brad kind of hit the nail on the head that I would go with one. I feel like without one, there would never be a two, and it's a classic. The best part about number two is that Donald Trump makes a little cameo, okay. and that's and that's obviously Trump. become that's become <laughs> infamous. Down the hall and to the left. Thanks. And also, actually, I think if you are asking me what the best scene is across either movie, Home Alone 2, when he goes into that fantastic toy shop, sticks sticks in my mind. But overall, I think number one is better. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I couldn't uh, disagree more, Arnie, but uh, thanks for your uh, insight there, mate. But um, that toy shop... <laughs> That doesn't look like a normal toy shop, but I don't think I've ever gone to a toy shop like that. But Melissa, uh, that's on your to-do list this Christmas festive season with your nieces and nephews. If they're of age, uh, home alone, sit down, watch one and two, give us your feedback. We're keen to hear. I'll take your advice. I'll report back. Love it, love it. Well, um, thanks again today. Thanks, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, thank you for our wonderful guest, Melissa, for coming on. Uh, Brad and Arnie, as always, it's a pleasure. We were just saying before, we haven't got on with three and a guest, I don't think, for a long, long time. So uh, it's usually just two of us or whatnot. So it's great to have us all on today. And, and hopefully uh, the listeners out there got some great insights and general tips um, of, uh, yeah, estate planning stuff. So, yeah, feel free to hit us up with your questions, any future guests you'd love us to get on, and we'll uh, definitely see you guys again next week. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. See you later. Bye. Bye.